welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, there are some in the back. I forgot to mention right in the middle there. And we are in the book of First John, so if you uh, want to turn there, that would be awesome. Um, I got a new bookmark. It says, uh, Feliz Dia Papa, which means I love you, Dad. This is from my daughter. She's at a Spanish immersion school, in case you didn't get that. <laughs> so this is my new bookmark. It's pretty awesome. Um, what's that? Happy, oh gosh, well, <clears throat> thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy day, Feliz, happy dia day. That's just good, good work, good work. Can't get anything faster, you guys. See, that was actually a test. There's this passage in scripture where Paul commends the Bereans for being people who look at the scriptures, so uh, uh, that didn't work. Um, thanks, Jackie, appreciate that. <laughs> First John chapter 4. Verse 7 and following says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Pray with me if you would. God, as we open these scriptures and uh, open ourselves to them, I pray that you would be um, powerfully present. God, that um, this wouldn't be a moment like Jacob where we said, uh, surely you were here in this place and we weren't aware of it, but God, we... Um, just say, and maybe even in our own hearts, recognize the fact that you're here, that you're present, that you are love, and that you want uh, good things for us, that everything good that we experience in life, everything of love that we experience in life ultimately comes from you. Um, And whatever shape and form that looks like, it it, uh, has its resonance in you. And so, God, as we center our hearts around that today, and as we center ourselves and this community around that, I pray that... uh, we would understand that afresh and anew in a beautiful way. And so we pray these things in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. So um, we're in this series on First John. We're, we're, nearing, we're rounding the corner towards home base. Uh, and and uh, in the last couple of chapters, chapters 4 and 5 of First John, as, as, if you're with us uh, week to week, um, you should know that we're actually going to take, um, John kind of like recirculates material uh, over and over in the last couple of chapters of, of this book. And so there's a number of themes that kind of come back over and over again. And so instead of going verse by verse through chapters four and five, we've kind of looked at the themes that are present and that's kind of where we're going to be headed for the next couple of weeks. So just so you know that, we won't take it verse by verse per se, but uh, some different themes that come up. And uh, today, I wanna, I've entitled this message, uh, We Carry the Idea. And so I want to start by showing you, um, in just a second, you'll see on the screen a picture of something and then a really awesome interview uh, that's just a couple of minutes long that kind of frames what we're going to talk about this morning. So for your listening pleasure, um, Mr. David Crowder. Hello? Yeah, is Andy there? Uh, This is he. 
Yeah, this is uh, David Crowder calling for the interview that was oh, scheduled today. Yeah, great. Um, sorry, I didn't expect you so soon. Let me give me a second to get things set up here. No problem. Yeah, made a few changes around here, and my typical setup is kind of, you know, technology's a killer, right? Uh, well, have to wait and see, I guess. Oh, all right. Well, um, well, hey, let's get started. Uh, sorry, my notes are, you know, a little scattered here. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. Um, I, I gotta admit, I, I really don't know much about, you know, you, you are the band, but I've got some friends that are big fans, and, um, right. but, uh, anyway, um, all right, well, okay, so here we go. Um, so your new CD is titled A Collision, or, um... Three plus four equals seven. That's that's interesting. You know, the, the, the whole double title thing. Um, let's see. Uh, and you know the atom on the cover. That's pretty cool. I was, I mean, I was never all that great in science and, and math. It wasn't really my my specialty. It was, I guess, you know, why I'm a writer now. But uh, anyway. Um, okay. So uh, I don't know. Is that? It's like with the cover, is that a metaphor? I mean, is it metaphorical for something, or like, or is it well, pretty, or? Nah, well, I mean, yeah, the atom, it's not really, I mean, it's a symbol. You see that, and you think atom, it shows what electrons moving in elliptical paths around the nucleus and all, and we, we know that's that's not how an atom works, or, or looks, even, for that matter. Okay. And so, so that's why it's appropriate for the cover, you know. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm not really sure I see the connection, but... Well, and what we mean to say is that the elements of worship are inadequate, very much like the Adam depiction, but this is what we have, you know, it helps us carry the idea. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> is that awesome or what? It's like, if it wasn't awkward enough here, we decided to play that, you know? That is just dynamite. That, that line about... Uh, yeah, I don't know uh, much about your band. I have some friends who do, which is essentially to say I don't really like anything that you do, but I have some friends that do. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so we carry the idea is what we want to call this today. And uh, so I wanted to just set, set this whole thing up by doing that. So now that we've done that, we're going to go ahead and go forward. <laughs> um, in this passage in First John, there are uh, a number of different things going on, and we're not... Um, we kind of have taken a, a section of it, and we're not going to cover every single thing in detail, but I want to really hone in on one piece of uh, something that John says that, for me, just kind of struck me. I, I read this passage over and over and over again. I wasn't really sure what we were going to do with it uh, or what we might highlight or, or kind of drill, drill down on, and I, I heard a wise man once say that uh, when preaching and teaching, like, follow the life, follow the thing that's alive. And so as I read this passage, there was one piece that just kind of jumped out at me every time I read it. And so I just sort of followed the live lead here. And it's this piece at the end in verse 12 where John says, uh, he says, dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. And then he says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. This idea of no one has ever seen God, did that kind of like... Like, interesting, why would John say that for anybody else? No one has seen God, he says. So here's what I want to do today. I want to start with a premise. 
And I want to take this premise and I want to kind of walk it through a number of different levels throughout the biblical story. And then I want to tie that back into this piece that John says, no one has ever seen God. So we have to do a little groundwork before we get to that piece of no one has seen God. And then really, we're talking about love, right? This is a a passage that centers itself around this idea of love. God is love. If we love one another, God is in us. And so uh, no one, uh, well, let me say this. Lots of people have said things about love. Right? It's probably the most talked about, the most preached about, the most written about, the most sung about, the most, uh, the most poems have been written about, this concept of love. And so to tackle a concept like love is always really a daunting task. So what I want to do at, at the end of this is kind of put it back on you. And we're going to have a little opportunity to just discuss a few things at our tables uh, and kind of land this idea of love because it can be really, really up here and esoteric and, oh, everything's love, love, love. But what does that really mean when you get right down to it? So we're going to start with the premise No one has seen God, and then I want to give you guys some opportunity to do that. Does that sound good? Okay, here we go. The premise is this, or or where we're going to start is this. John says in verse 8 of chapter 4, God is love. God is love. Not God is like love. Not God might look a bit like love. Not God sounds like love. Not God uh, sort of has this kind of love thing going. Um, No, God is is love. So in, in God's essence, in his very property of who or what God is, John and, and the other writers attest to this, that God in his very essence is love. Uh, the scriptures talk a lot about, you know, God is a, uh, like God is a rock or God is like a rock or God is like a mother hen. God is like a consuming fire and all these different things. And there's all these metaphors that are used to describe God. But this one stands out. This one stands alone, if you will. Because it's very, it's, it's very, uh, it's not metaphorical. It's not a way that we talk about love. It's something that they're trying to say. This is something that we know about God, that God is in fact love. So at God's very fundamental core, at the essence, you strip it all away. What remains or what is, John says, love. This is who God is. This is what God is. So that's the premise. Now let's take it a step further. Uh, we know love The only reason you and I know what love is, the only reason we experience love, the only reason that we have any concept of what it is, is because God gives God's self to us. Now, let me unpack that a little bit, and you'll have to forgive me for just a moment. I'm going to, I'm going to, if I wasn't a nerd before, I'm going to really jump in this camp of theological nerd here. So just go with me. One of my favorite authors, one of my favorite theologians is a guy named Karl Barth. Karl Barth was born uh, in the late 1800s. He wrote and did kind of his deal in, during World War I, so when uh, the rise of Nazism and, and the whole German thing was going on in Europe. And Barth, uh, I took a, a class in seminary called The Theology of Barth, and my professor said this. He said, reading, um, reading Karl Barth is a bit like walking into a cathedral, if you've ever walked in a cathedral off the street, at first you can't see anything and you're bumping into walls that you think are doors, but then your eyes begin to adjust and you begin to see the absolutely breathtaking and stunning beauty of the structure. Um, it's a bit like walking into the joke joint on Sunday mornings when it's really bright out, you know? It's like, it's so bright out there and then you walk in here and it's terribly lit and we try to open the windows to get a little bit more, but it's like you walk in and, and you, you can't really see what's in front of you for a moment. And my professor said, when you read Bart, it's a bit like walking into a massive cathedral off of a bright street. You walk in, you can't see, you're bumping into things, you're not really sure what's what. You try to open something and it's not actually a door, it's a window. But then after a little bit, after you sort of spend some time there, your eyes begin to adjust and you begin to see the, like, the absolute unbelievable nature of what's going on here. And this guy, he wrote uh, like a 14-volume work. It's called Church Dogmatics. If anyone ever sees it at an estate sale, buy it, I'll pay you back. Okay, whatever, uh, 
Yeah, talk, call me on my cell phone, and we'll, we'll negotiate, right? I've been looking for this set. I just want it, like, off of some old dude's study, you know, who has gone to be with the Lord, and he's left church dogmatics for me. I, I, so I want this. It's 14 volumes, and he wasn't finished. He wasn't done yet. He hadn't written about the Holy Spirit or the end times, eschatology, so he had more to say. It's absolutely unbelievable. Now, here's why I tell you all this. The whole thing... 14 volumes, thousands and thousands and thousands of pages about God and about theology and about how we do this thing is kind of resting on two pillars, if you will. One of them is this idea of faith-seeking understanding. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. That the, the whole work of theology, the movement of theology, even an experience of God is predicated on or it, it's preceded by faith. You can't experience God, this ineffable, unknowable, or, or unseen thing, until you trust, until you have faith, and at which point you, the door kind of opens to an experience of the divine. So one of the pillars is this faith-seeking understanding. The other one goes hand-in-hand hand with it. It's this idea of revelation, that God reveals God's self to us, that you and I the only reason that we can know what love is, the only reason that we do know what love is, is that God chooses to reveal God's self. That in, in an act of grace and an act of mercy, in an act of self-giving, that God actually offers God's self to us. So God is love. We only know that because God offers God's self to us. Let's take it a step further. Not only does God reveal God's self, but this is the unbelievable nature of the scripture, and I think the Genesis 3 story, that God actually invites us into relationship with God. So in Genesis chapter 3, God creates the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve, and all this other stuff, and then God says to Adam and Eve to steward, to care for, to actually participate in the ongoing care for and stewardship of creation. God not only invites them into this thing around them, but to this uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. There's this word called perichoresis, and it's a, it's a word that describes what God is, and it, it's, it's essentially translated a divine dance. So God exists in Father, Son, and Spirit, and there's this sort of divine dance happening between Father, Son, and Spirit. And then God invites you and I into participation with divine life. So God is love, God reveals God's self, and then God invites you and I into relationship and to experience this love. You're still tracking, okay? Now, take it a step further. Genesis chapter three comes along and we get Adam and Eve, and I would submit you and I, right? Adam and Eve and you and I, because of Adam and Eve and because of you and I, our ability to give and receive love is diminished. Our, so, okay, if God is love and God creates us in the image of God, and we are given this gift of love to experience with one another, with God, our ability to receive, to give and receive love is diminished. Or, or um, does anybody remember Back to the Future? Back to the Future, like Christopher, whatever that guy's name was, with the crazy hair. He'd say, Marty, our flux capacitor is broken. Why are we going to get back to the future? 88 point gigawatts. You know that guy? Our love capacity or the capacity that we have to love which is a gift. It's, a gra it's grace given to you and I. I mean, think about the animal kingdom, okay? Most of the animals that, that walk the face of the planet cannot experience love. They cannot and they do not experience relationality. Language is a big piece of this, but there's all kinds of other things going on here. 
So most of the animal kingdom that lives on this planet cannot receive or give love. They operate on purely like animalistic instinct. That's it. Chemicals, that's it. But you and I are different. We have a capacity to give and to receive love. And the story of the scriptures in Genesis 3 reminds us, tells us, introduces us to this fact that this gift, this capacity that we have to give and receive love is damaged. We say it this way uh, on, on our website where we kind of talk about some of the things we believe. Um, says this, if we could, oh, you know what? I don't think I put that on there. I'll read it to you. All of God's human creatures have an innate sense of dignity, value, and worth because they've been created in God's image. Humanity has, to lesser and greater degrees, abandoned their creational responsibility to embody that image as God intended. So because we're sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, because we're human and we make these choices that we do, our capacity to love is damaged, is nearly obliterated in some cases, but I actually wouldn't argue that, but that's a whole nother sermon. Um, so God is love. God reveals God's self. God invites us into experiencing this love. Our love is, our, our ability to give and receive love is diminished uh, Take it one step further. We see love most fully in Jesus. What does the scripture say about Jesus? Uh, when the disciples come to Jesus, they say, uh, we want to see the Father. We want to see God. And Jesus says, listen, how long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews says that Jesus is the fullest representation of God that we get. So if Jesus is connected to God, then when we see Jesus, what we see is love. We see what love looks like. We see what love sounds like. We see what love feels like. We see what love inter- how it interacts in the world, how it moves in the world, how it meets and greets its neighbor, and, and so on and so forth, and the systems around it. This is what we see when we see Jesus. Most fully, we see love. And of course, if you take this one step further, the scriptures say, in Christ, and this is where it gets amazing, in Christ... We're in Christ and with the power of the spirit, we have, if our love, if our capacity to give and receive love has been damaged, is diminished in Christ and through the spirit, the capacity that we were meant for to give and receive love is possible in Christ and through the power of the spirit. So this is just kind of a walk through the scriptures as it relates to this premise of love. Okay, everybody's still tracking. Now, why does John say, No one has seen God. No one has seen God, John says in verse 12. I brought brought some markers here. I I want to do some drawing for you guys, okay? Remember, this is a very different view. I can see you all. Lights are in my face. It's nice to see you. Hi, how are you guys? Remember, according to the scriptures, God exists in three persons, right? We call this the Trinity, So God, in God's fullness, exists as three distinct partners, right? This is the perichoresis, this is the dance. So the divine life of God, I hate, it's one of my biggest pet peeves, markers that don't work. When people are presenting and they're like, the marker doesn't work, I'm like, get a new marker, dude! So I've got another one. How you like me now? So the the, the, the divine life, God in God's essence, in God's essence, is this thing. It's not one piece of it. It's not two pieces of it. You have to have all of it in order to get the fullness of who God is, right? So when John says no one has seen God, what is he saying? I mean, look at, for, uh, turn back to the Gospel of John. This is, this is getting good now. The Gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. 
John says this three different times in three different ways. He says this, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Turn over a couple pages, John 5, verse 37. John says this, actually Jesus is speaking now, and he says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form. John 6, verse 46, says this, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, and only he has seen the Father. So what's John getting at? What have we seen? What, what has been revealed to us? Jesus. So when John says no one has seen God, what he's not saying is that God is, is completely unknowable, uh, completely absent, uh, mysterious, no one can know. That's not what John's getting at. What John is getting at is that no one has seen God in God's fullness. What does Paul say? in the New Testament. I think it's in Corinthians, maybe. He says that we know in part, right? And one day we will know in full. We will, we will, be, we will see him as he is, he says. What we know, we know about Jesus and we know about the work of the Spirit in the world. But no one has seen God. No one has seen God in God's fullness. Now, let me see if I can bring this back around. We carry the idea. Think about the atom. We know an atom exists, right? We have, we have proof of an atom, but we don't actually know an atom in its fullness. We know parts of the atom. And so we have this symbol that carries the idea of an atom. And so when we see that picture, we go, oh, that's an atom, right? It's this symbol, this thing that carries the idea or it sort of cloaks the idea and shows us its form, but we don't see the thing in and of itself. Are you still tracking? Still following? You and I, what John is saying about love is that when you and I love, when our capacity to give and receive love is restored by the work of the Spirit and Christ in our lives, what we do is we actually begin to carry the idea of God into the world. No one has seen God in God's fullness. But when you love as at least a portion, when you tap into what you were intended for as a person, as this being gifted by God with the capacity to give and receive love, when you do that, you carry the idea of God. You become on display for the world to see this is what God looks like. Because God is love. What does love look like? Jesus. It always looks like Jesus. It always looks like Jesus. It always looks like Jesus. It looks like Calvary. It looks like the sacrifice of self for the other. It looks like empowerment never lording over. It looks like Calvary. Now, before we kind of give you guys an opportunity to talk about this, I want to just offer three really, really, really brief thoughts uh, to kind of move us into this. Because we, practically speaking, this is, a, this is a phenomenal idea. It's an amazing idea, but what does this really look like? I want to just offer a couple of thoughts, and then I'm going to sort of set you loose here. Um, one, are you open and awake to the possibility that love is, 
or, or are you open awake to the possibility of love in every single moment, in every single second of your day? Listen, if this universe and you and I are soaked in the fact that God has created and this God is love, then every Every opportunity, every interaction, every possible, um, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to work, when you go pay your bills, when you do this, when you do that, every single one of these is, is absolutely drenched with the, the possibility of the giving and receiving of love because this is the way the world works because God created the world and God is love. So are you open and awake to the fact that love is possible, this giving and receiving of love is possible in every moment, every interaction, every conversation that you have? Do you wake up in the morning and recognize, you know what? The divine gift of giving and receiving love to to actually experience and give love is possible in every conversation that I have today, in every moment. Are you awake to that fact? Paths. Are Are you aware of the people God has put in your path? Are you cognizant? I mean, think about the people in your life. Literally, think about the people that that are along your path right now. And who are they? And what do they need? Is it possible that somebody in your path right now, today even, is in desperate need of the gift of giving and receiving love that God has graced us with? Are 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 you aware of the people on your path and then, and then the, the third piece is, listen, this is a story of an ever-expanding, always opening, always bigger, get more people kind of gospel. That's the nature of the gospel. It's always asking, how do we make the doors bigger? How does God get more back? Are you aware of people outside of your path? Are there, Jesus is always seeking and searching and finding. So, Here's what I want you to do as we close. If you would, I'm gonna, we're going to play a little mood music, just real, real uh, lightly, Billy, if we could. And oftentimes when we come to church, uh, it's pretty one way. And I think that's unfortunate. We think that's unfortunate. And we recognize that this has got to take on flesh and blood. This has to actually take a form, this idea. And we are those forms. And so if you would... Um, find some people near you, maybe three, four, five of you uh, at your table. And if, they're, uh, if you're, you know, look around, friends, so just make sure people are included. And if you would just discuss, what does this look like for you? What does it look like in your life, particularly, to be a person who gives and receives love to the people around you? What does it look like, particularly, specifically? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a person at school, maybe it's a person at work, but what, is, what does it mean for you? Because John says, God is love. He says, if, we, if God is in us, we love our neighbor and our brother and sister. This is what we do. So, take a few moments and do that if you would. Ready, set, go. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.